This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Again, I, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to Church of the Harvest. Uh, we are a family of Christ followers. Uh, we have found that in the body of Christ that we are stronger together than we are separately. So we have linked arms and chosen to fulfill God's purposes together. Amen. With that said, uh, at, at Harvest, we, we meet throughout the week in community groups. But uh, how many community group members are glad that we come together on Sunday to worship the Lord together corporately? thankful for this time. And so we are a family of believers. We're a small expression of the body of Christ. We love God. And because we love God, because we love our Father, we serve people. And we love people and we serve the world as the hands and feet of Jesus. Amen? And so uh, if you're part of the Harvest family, what is our vision? Our vision is to make, grow, and equip followers of Jesus to fulfill their God-given purpose in life. And we fulfill that three ways. We provide opportunities for community, discipleship, and outreach, right? And as I've told you guys the last few weeks, one of the primary metrics as to whether or not we're fulfilling that vision is how many people are you winning for Jesus in your world? If we're probably, as a, as a family, if we are growing, if we're being equipped, guys, disciples reproduce disciples, Amen. And so I know whether or not we're moving forward as a church family and whether or not we're fulfilling the vision God has given us by whether or not we're winning people for the kingdom of God. Amen? So as I said, I'm believing for more every week. I want to hear people come to Jesus. Disciples reproducing disciples. Uh, those of you who have been with us for a while know that we are currently discussing um, our identity. We, we began the year talking about being activated in the body of Christ. Our identity and our responsibility within the family of God as Christ followers. What is a Christ follower? A Christ follower is somebody who has repented and turned from their old life, right? And they have surrendered to the lordship of Jesus, making Jesus lord of their life. And we've talked about how, you know, the world right now, things are being shaken, right? Things are shaken in the world today. Things are changing. But the good news is, we're not of this world, guys. <laughs> we may be physically standing in this world as it's shaking, but we're not of this world. And God's word never changes, so we don't have to be shaken, we can stand firm. God's word contains all the answers to every question, to every dilemma, even to every doubt that you may ever have in this life. God's word contains it all. We don't have to be shaken. So we started a few weeks ago discussing the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, right? And last week, we finished chapter 5. It took us six weeks, but we got through it. It's good stuff there that Jesus taught, wasn't it? Good stuff. And so we talked about a lot of different things, but we finally came to this place where we started talking about this idea that not only our actions, but even our thoughts declare our devotion to God, and maybe even our lack of devotion to God. Amen? How many of you know, when you're not devoted to God, your actions prove it, right? And so... Jesus is talking here, and we, we talked about this last week, but he says, you, you think you've kept the law because you kept the sixth commandment that says don't murder. But I tell you, if you have hatred in your heart toward any person, you're already guilty of murder. He says, you think you've kept the law because you've kept the seventh commandment, you never committed adultery. But I tell you, if you look upon a, a woman to lust after her, you've already, you're already guilty of adultery within your heart. And that was tough because they were all about the law back then, Right? 
They, they, they were laser focused. We've got to keep the law. We've got to keep the law. We've got to keep the law. And Jesus took it to a whole nother level, right? He went right to the heart of the matter. I told you last week, we've actually talked the last couple weeks about this, that the root of outward sin is always found inward. What comes out of us is just a manifestation of what was already on the inside. And so what do we do? We, we need to deal with the inward sin before it becomes an outward sin. Why? Is inward sin any less sin than outward? No. But outward sin is more destructive because we've sat on that inward sin and we've allowed it to fester and we've entertained it and we've allowed it to grow until it's coming out of us and now it's affecting all those around us as well. It's very destructive. So Jesus continues the Sermon on the Mount with this same theme uh, as the foundation. So as we continue into chapters 6 and 7, you'll find you need to hold on to this theme and what Jesus is saying about our thoughts and the things on the inside. But he does shift a little bit in his teaching from here as we go from chapter 5 into chapter 6. And I, as I told you, about in the middle of chapter 7, he begins to shift again a little bit because his audience begins to change. But uh, honestly, guys, we're, we're probably we're, we're not going to get to chapter 6 today. Because I want to lay a little bit of foundation. You remember back a few weeks ago, I laid some foundation right in the middle of chapter 5. And we talked about being in relationship with the Father and being in fellowship with the Father. Remember that? I gave the example of a boy that gets home from school and his mom's almost got dinner ready. She says, no cookies before dinner. A few minutes later, she turns around and sees him trying to sneak cookies out of the pantry. Right? She tells him to get to his room. He comes to the table finally for dinner when she calls him. And he's got his head down, and there's awkwardness, and nobody wants to speak, and it's a weird, awkward situation. Is he any less a son? No. Is mama disappointed? Is she maybe upset and angry? Yeah. But is she, does she love him any less? Nope. She doesn't. But he, what he has done, he has broken fellowship with mom in that moment. What he needs to do is to repent, make things right, make a change. Suddenly, the air begins to clear. Things aren't awkward anymore. Fellowship is restored, right? It's kind of the same thing. So that's what I was talking about in chapter 5, but I want to lay a little more groundwork today because Matthew chapter 6, again, is talking about what's in the heart. It starts talking at the beginning of chapter 6 about doing good things. How many of you know it's good to do good things? But he's talking about doing them with the wrong motivation, with the wrong heart. And so I want to talk about this for a minute because we could just read it the way Jesus taught it, but we're in a little different situation. We're disciples, just like he taught his disciples. We're disciples of Jesus as well, right? But we are now Christians. We're Christ followers. We're in a little bit different situation than they were in the moment when he taught this. And so I want to give a little bit of groundwork. My voice keeps cracking. Sorry. It's that time, you know, I'm, I'm that young. I, I want to give a little bit of groundwork for believers People who are followers of Jesus before we kind of, before we kind of get to that. So uh, those of you who have a Bible, we're going to spend most of today in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And uh, you can turn to that if you are using your mobile device. You can uh, use the, the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app. You can hit more, hit events, and you will see the notes will be there. And, um, and you can follow along. But I want to talk in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 about something that it is not discussed a great deal in the church. And that is what it means to be a carnal Christian. Everybody say carnal. Just sounds like a bad word, doesn't it? That's cause it is. Okay. 
So, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we're going to kind of break this down verse for verse, like we've kind of been doing. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. Who's speaking in 1 Corinthians chapter 3? Paul? Yes. Who's he writing to? Who's his intended audience in this moment? A church in Corinth that believed that Paul helped to establish in, uh, in the city of Corinth, okay? So, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, And I, Paul speaking, and I, brethren could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal people, as to babes in Christ. We need to break this down for a minute. How does he start this verse? He says, and I, brethren, right? Let's just leave it on the screen if we, if we can. And I, brethren. So other versions say brothers. Other more contemporary versions say brothers and sisters. Okay. Who is Paul speaking to? You think he's writing to his biological brothers? He's writing to the church, right? Are these people born again? These are Christ followers he's writing to. He calls them brethren, brothers, okay? He's speaking to believers. They're born again. So initially, in the first few words, in the first three words, if Paul's writing to the church in Corinth and he says, brothers, we immediately think that he's probably writing to some great spiritual people. But we just read the rest of the verse, right? What does he go on to say? He says, brothers and sisters, when I was with you, he says, I couldn't speak to you like I would speak to spiritually mature people. He said, it was impossible. Instead, When I was with you last, I had to speak to you as carnal people who were but babies in Christ. And guys, I don't believe that most of these people he was writing to were brand new believers. I'll get to that in a minute. But a lot of people can't understand how the word carnal and Christian can be used in the same sentence, but it's what Paul's doing right here. It's what he's saying. There's no such thing as a carnal Christian. Well, guys, I've been pretty carnal before. How about you? Sometimes Christ followers who sin, especially those who are walking in or walking through a habitual sin. Anybody ever been there before? Many times they're judged by other believers and fall into a few categories. Well, I thought sister so-and-so was a Christian. I thought she followed Jesus. Right? Or say things like, they must have lost their salvation. Or we'll say things like, they must have never really been saved in the first place. Let me say this, guys. Do I believe there's people who have recited a prayer and are not Christ followers? Yes, I absolutely do. Absolutely. But if you truly came to a place of repentance, and you made Jesus Lord of your life, you're a son. You're a daughter, okay? Amen? Anybody glad about that? You're in relationship. You will mess up sometimes, right? And you're going to have to rein your flesh in sometimes, right? And sometimes we let things go a little too long. And we suffer the consequences of it. And hopefully we repent and we get things right. So here's the question, the first question I kind of want to answer is, so what is the condition, what is your condition as a Christian when you mess up? Who are you now? You're a Christian who sinned, okay? You're a Christian who sinned. 
You're, you're the kid sitting at the table with their head down. Okay? And I'm not trying to downplay sin as no big deal. I'm not saying that at all. But it is that simple. Most of us mess up at some point every day. And we have to repent. You're simply a Christian that has sinned. Doesn't mean you're no longer saved. It does mean, if you're not dealing with that, it does mean that you're carnal. Okay? Now, as I said a second ago, I believe that there were plenty, there are plenty, of carnal Christians who are not new believers. Not new converts. And I would suggest that like we talked about last week, I believe that what it's talking about right here, when it talks about, when it says the word baby, it goes back to what we were talking about last week, in lacking maturity. A carnal Christian is lacking spiritual maturity. So understand this, when we get born again, in that moment, as we're getting born again, sin is not really the issue because I've known people, and there may be some of you in this room, that you came to Christ, and I mean, you were radically, powerfully saved. You had a moment that, I mean, is you, it's like yesterday, but you had some issues, and you had some addictions, and you had some things in your life before you received Christ, and you still walked those out in the years to follow. And hopefully you were seeking freedom, but how many of you found that once you got saved, the baggage and the sin and some of the things you were carrying, they weren't gone in that moment. You still had to deal with and face some of these things. Amen? So regardless of what people have said for years, the issue for the unbeliever is, I mean, is, is not really their sin. It's, it's the issue that they have not accepted the lordship of Jesus. And because of that, sin is an issue. But I'll say this, once a person is born again, Sin does become an issue. It really does. You know how I always talk about our responsibility in the family of God? Once in the family of God, we have the responsibility of eradicating sin from our life. The Bible says that once you've received Jesus, once you've repented, you're a new creation. You've been given the Holy Spirit. What else do you need? Right? The Holy Spirit lives in us, giving us the empowerment we need over sin. So after true salvation, if you sin, does it send you to hell? Does nobody know? No, guys. No. Your sin was paid for. Somebody should be excited. Your sin was paid for. You're in relationship with the Father, but you can choose to live in a place of broken fellowship until you choose to repent. And let me tell you this, walking out of fellowship with the Lord will stop the flow of his blessing and his promises in your life. And I will tell you, as a Christ follower, if you're walking out of fellowship with the Lord, your life will be miserable. You will have those moments where you're wondering, where is God? There will be lots of consequences. Like the kid sitting at the table. What if he refused to repent? Refused to own up? Refused to apologize? Y'all have all been there? Who are, all you mamas in the room. You had periods of time where you were kind of out of fellowship with your kid for days, weeks, hopefully not months, 
Right? Because they wouldn't get it in order. They wouldn't get it in line. They wouldn't obey. They wouldn't respect. They wouldn't honor. Right? We've got a lot of Christians who are walking like that. They're in the family, but they're that stubborn kid who won't apologize, won't repent, isn't getting things right. All that to say, 1 Corinthians isn't really talking about relationship with the Lord. He calls them brothers and sisters in Christ. When he says babes in Christ, what he's calling them is carnal babies. Okay? Imagine if I called somebody in the church a carnal baby today. Lord have mercy. Revival. Yes. This simply meant... They were out of fellowship with Father, and they're lacking spiritual maturity. And they needed to grow up, is what he's saying. Because God can't use you. He can't accomplish his purposes. The church in Corinth isn't going to grow, is what he's saying. You've got to get things right. So what does he say? He says, I couldn't speak to you as if I was speaking to spiritual people, but I had to speak to you as carnal people. Which I'm just going to give you a few points today. One of the first points I want to make is, being in fellowship with the Father is spiritual, but being out of fellowship is carnal. Does that make sense? So what does it mean to be a spiritual baby? Let's look at that for a second. So we're going to go to the next verse, okay? He said, Paul says, I fed you with milk, not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, anything other than milk. But even now, everybody say now. Even now, you are still not able now, you remember how I've, I've talked quite a bit about how the, the natural always parallels the spiritual, right? And so we're talking about spiritual babies. Spiritual babies need milk in the same way the natural babies need milk, right? If you feed a natural baby milk, hopefully he or she begins to grow and mature, right? And so a few weeks ago, when I first kind of started talking about that, we talked about how the about how the apostle Peter, he uses as an example and in this parallel and mentions drinking from the milk of the word. And I'm going to read that to you, but this week I'm going to read it to you from the Passion Translation. 1 Peter 2.2 says, In the same way that nursing infants cry for milk, you must intensely crave the pure spiritual milk of God's word. For this milk will cause you to grow into maturity, full nourished and strong for life. This is what Paul is wanting for the Corinthian church. There is milk in the Word of God that we need to be fed so that we begin to come to maturity. Spiritual babies need to be fed so that they will begin to develop a hunger and a thirst for the Word of God so they can truly grow in maturity. Now, babies love their milk, right? They'll let you know when they want it, right? And if you've had babies in the house, you know it's frequent. But eventually, as they grow, that milk's not enough. They need more complex food, right, to meet the growing nutritional needs of their body as they grow. It's the same in the spiritual. In the beginning, we're all drinking from the milk of the Word. When you first come to Christ, we're all drinking of the milk of the Word. We're learning the basics. God, good, devil, bad. Got it. Okay? The milk of the Word, right? The simple things, the basics that we've got to know. But hopefully it doesn't take long before you're craving more. And the milk's not enough. Hopefully it doesn't take too long. 
steady diet of milk, you get to the place where it just doesn't suffice anymore. And you have to go on to deeper things. Things that take maturity and understanding to understand and to apply to walk out in our lives. So another thing I thought about babies. Now you know, babies want attention, right? And they demand it. Correct? Spiritual babies are the same way. A lot of times you can spot them in the family of God. They love to be called upon, to stand out, to, to get attention, to get praise. I, we, we dealt with that with, with people on the, on the worship team years ago. I remember people who'd be like, oh, I just want to sing a solo. Or, or we're doing a Jesus Culture song. Why can't I play that guitar solo from the Jesus Culture album? I was like, it's not what we're doing, right? Why am I not standing up front? Well, I'm not loud enough. I don't know that anybody can hear me. I want to be in the center. It's like, my goodness. I finally got to the place where I used to tell the team, if you're not okay with playing in the closet over there where nobody can see you, then you're not ready to be on the team. Because when people look up here, I don't want them to see any individual. I want them to see Jesus. Right? And I also would tell people, I want you to be expressionate. But if the end result is you're drawing the attention and everybody's looking at you, then again, we've missed the point. It's all about Jesus. Amen? Spiritual babies demand attention. A lot of times they constantly need a pat on the back. By the way, there is nothing wrong with being recognized. I would uh, say if you're getting praise and recognition, a lot of times that means you're doing something right. Amen? You're doing good things. But if you can't serve as unto the Lord without that, you may not be ready. It could be that you need some more milk of the word to grow out of this stage. Does this make sense? To grow in maturity. Babies also like to be constantly entertained, right? You can't just walk into the baby's room and be like, hey, you want to hear what's going on in my, my day today? Well, at work, we, you know, they're going to be like, you know, looking off the other way. Now, that's, why, that's why we come up to them and we get all down in their face and we make little faces and we're like, aren't you a sweet little baby? Yes, you are. Yes, you are. And, right, and they just look at us and they start grinning and we grin real big and they grin real big back, Right? We've got to constantly entertain them to keep their attention. Spiritual babies need to be constantly entertained. The church they're going to doesn't entertain them enough. They pack up and go to the next one. Right? Right? 1 Corinthians chapter 3 isn't talking so much about babies who have been born again, though. How many of you know 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is written to you and me? This is also written to people who have been saved for 20, 30, 40 years and refuse to grow up. And how many of you know, how many of you mamas know, that's not cool in the natural? If you got a kid living at home in their 30s that won't work and doesn't want to do anything but play Xbox, <laughs> that ain't cool. Right? Right? It's not what God intended. These type of Christians love to show up at church whenever it pleases them, at church gatherings. That's why the stats for the last several years, I'm sure 2020 throws a wrench in the stats, but the stats for the last few years say that the average American who claims to be a Christian attends a church gathering once every four to six weeks. They're carnal and immature. They go to church whenever it pleases them. And then they go home and criticize the pastors and the congregation and everybody. They're out of fellowship with the Lord. They don't want to grow up. They don't want to be responsible for themselves, the family of God. They're not striving to get back in fellowship. So they continue in pride and in strife and in bitterness and in all kinds of sin and they're utterly miserable. 
Imagine them trying to witness to somebody about Jesus. <laughs> Why in the world do I want some of that? Right? Sourpuss Christian. Next point I want to make to you real quick. God expects his kids to grow. Just like you mamas expect your kids to grow up and get going, God expects his kids to grow up too. Growing is something the Lord expects us to do throughout our life on earth. You, you never stop. Never stop. You aren't supposed to stop. You're not supposed to plateau along the way. And there are lots of scriptures that back that up. I'm not going to go into right now. Next point I want to mention to you. People who are out of fellowship with the Lord cannot grow. If you're out of fellowship with the Lord, if you're carnal, if you're the kid sitting at the table with their head down, awkward between you and God, you can't grow. But if you are in fellowship with the Lord, one of the ways you'll know it is you will grow. You will. John 15, 7 says, what? If you abide in me, isn't that fellowship? And my words abide in you. You have to be in fellowship with the Lord, taking in his word to grow. And then what does it say next? Ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. It's like the kid at the table. When he's sitting there before he's repented. Think mom's going to respond well if he starts asking for favors? While he's, she's all disappointed and upset at him? Nope. How many of you know that when you're in fellowship with mom and dad, when you honor them and obey them and respect them, you generally get what you want, right? You've been treating mom with respect and honor and obeying her? Mama's going to say yes more often than not, right? Abiding in him and his words abiding in us brings maturity and it brings favor and it brings growth. So as you grow, as we mentioned last week, and the Word of God begins to build you up, remember that's the milk of the Word, begins to build you up, it makes it easier to resist sin. And I will say this too, as you continue to grow and mature, it will get easier to resist the devil. Amen? So after all this, thinking back to verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, we would assume that whoever Paul's writing to is guilty of real serious sin. His opening line, he calls them carnal babies, right? And I would say yes and no. Now, I've taught this before, so I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it. But Corinth was a very pagan, very carnal city in Greece, just, um, just west of Athens. It was a port city. There were sailors coming and going all the time. The, 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 the great temple to the god Apollo was there. Sexual temptation was everywhere, and it was embraced. And I was thinking about this with that in mind. I mean, Corinth was known as a pleasure city. There were a lot of lost people. It might not have been too difficult for them to win people to Jesus. But I guarantee you it was a whole other matter when it came to getting them to renew their minds. Y'all see what I'm saying? We know that one man was caught in adultery in the church, and the church was just letting it slide by, just accepting it. Why? Because they were accustomed to it. This was the way of life where they were. So Paul has to 
He not only visits, he comes and he starts writing them. And he's teaching them about godly morality. And we see that in this case that Paul's writing, I don't believe that salvation was the issue here, guys. He calls them brothers. He calls them babes in Christ. The issue was getting them in line with God's word. Which is very important if they're going to fulfill their purpose in the earth. So, I would argue now, that there are just as many carnal Christians today as there were that Paul was writing to back in the city of Corinth back 2,000 years ago. Did you know that carnal Christians can look just like every other Christian? Did you know that carnal Christians can flow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit? They were gifts of the Spirit were flowing abundantly in the church in Corinth. Flowing like crazy. But Paul comes in, he runs in, and he's saying, whoa, guys, we got to get some things in order. Y'all are carnal. There's got to be a change. Nobody nodded their head at me. Carnal Christians can operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, guys. How many times in the last 10 or 20 years have we seen great men or women of God having huge services with signs, miracles, and wonders, incredible things happening? And we suddenly find out, oh, their marriage had been on the rocks for a couple of decades. They had committed adultery multiple times, seen prostitutes, dealing with addictions. We would step back and we'd go, why in the world did the Holy Spirit allow that to happen? Because it was never about the man. It was about the hungry hearts that were drawn together, that were pulling on the anointing and the power of God. It was never about the person. Now, when that man falls, it causes great destruction. Great destruction. He'll be held accountable. He's responsible to God for that. But it wasn't about the man. Anyway, um, verse, uh, verses 1 and 2. I, I'm just going to read them to you again. Paul directs his remarks to those who are born again but still babies. I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk, not with spirit, solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able. Look at verse 3. For you are still carnal. For where there are envy and strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Now again, what is outward sin? Outward sin is manifestation of inward sin, right? What's on the outside, manifest, inside manifests itself on the outside, right? Look at how, keep that verse up there if you would, that last verse. Let's keep it up there. Um, look at that last sentence. Where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? The Amplified Version says, you're behaving yourselves after the human standard like mere unchanged men. When you're out of fellowship with the Lord, you begin to look and act just like an unbeliever. You begin to look and act like somebody who's not part of the family of God. You'll get just as angry and out of control as somebody who is not a believer. It says here that you look like a mere unchanged man or woman. What was the change? It was salvation. It was receiving Jesus, right? It was the new creation in your life. When that happened in your life, when you surrendered to him, it says, but you're not looking like it. You look like a mere unchanged person. When you're out of fellowship, you're not yielded to the Holy Spirit in your life. If you're not yielded to the Holy Spirit, then what are you yielded to? You're yielded to the flesh. 
right? That's what we get caught in. That's what we're battling, what the flesh desires, right? And the only way to give him the reins again, to allow him to take control again, is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what the mom at the table is looking for from the son, right? Now, taking this a step further, now every Christian assumes that they're storing up treasures in heaven, right? Well, I'm just storing up treasures in heaven, brother. Not if you're carnal. Not if you're carnal. If you're carnal and out of fellowship with the Lord, I would argue you can go to church all you want to. And you can pray. And you can drop $1,000 in that offering bucket. You can do it all. You can do all the right things. You can even work in the ministry. And you know what it counts for? Nothing. It counts for nothing. Go to verse 8. Let's look at it. Going on down to verse 8. Paul's still speaking to him. He says, now he who plants and he who waters are one. We'll talk about that in a second. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now, I'll leave that up there for just a minute. He who plants and he who waters are one. Now, whether you are all in for God or whether you're a carnal Christian, we have the same father, right? We're one. We're one family. But it's saying here, but each will receive reward according to our own labor. Make sense? Our own works. You are personally responsible for the rewards you will get in heaven. Your rewards have nothing to do with your salvation. Well, I mean, you can't get rewards without salvation, but it doesn't have bearing. You understand what I'm saying? The laboring he's talking about here when he says each will receive reward according to his own labor, the labor he's talking about has to do with reward, not salvation. He didn't say according to your labor you will go to heaven. He said according to your labor, labor you will receive reward. That makes sense? And let me say this, guys. Another point I wanted to make. We should desire reward from our Father. We should desire rewards. So, once you receive Christ, once you repent, you surrender yourself to Him, to His Lordship, you're no longer supposed to be trying to get into heaven. How many of you were there, you gave your life to Christ, and you went back to the altar for many weeks to follow because you thought you weren't saved? The issue is not, it's, it's not heaven anymore. Okay. Our desire, once we have surrendered to Jesus, our desire should be to please our Father who is storing up reward in heaven based on our works here on earth. And by the way, you can get rewards here on earth too. But we can stop our rewards by getting out of fellowship with Father. But your faith does not work outside of your fellowship with him. Y'all hear that? Think about it for a second. Your faith. Maybe putting your faith out there for all kinds of things. Maybe you're spending your prayer time and you're just praying for stuff. I'm believing in faith and you're quoting it. But you're out of fellowship with the Father. It doesn't, doesn't work that way, guys. You're at the table again with your head down, ashamed. 
broken fellowship. You're not in a position to be asking for stuff. Look on to verse um, 9. Next verse, verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. Somebody say me. I'm God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me, this is Paul speaking, according to the grace of God which was given to me as a wise builder, I have laid the foundation in your life and another, actually it's referring to you, builds upon it. Let each one take heed to how he builds on it for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So it says here that a foundation is laid in every new creation life. What is the foundation? It says it right there, guys. Foundation, which is laid, is Jesus, right? So every Christ follower received Jesus. They received a foundation in their new life. And basically that happened because somebody loved you and Brought, brought the love of Jesus and brought you to a place of salvation, of receiving Christ, right? So that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, I brought the foundation into your life. I brought you to Jesus. We all have that foundation. But we receive that foundation, but then it was up to us to begin to build upon it. Does this make sense? So how are we building upon that foundation? Because what you build upon that foundation of Jesus determines your reward in eternity. So when we get to heaven, as I said, the Lord is going to judge our works, and it's going to be different for each of us. Why? Because we all did different things according to the Word of God, and depending on the decisions that we made and the things that we did, how we built our lives. Now, I said this a second ago in that point, but we've almost been trained in the church that to desire rewards is bad, like it's a prideful thing. Like it's a greedy thing. Guys, it's a bunch of nonsense. That's like people who say, say when it comes to church attendance, numbers should never matter because we don't want to get prideful, brother. Numbers are people. I want lots of numbers. Right? I want lots of rewards. Why? Because it means I did a lot of things right that pleased my father. Right? If we don't have reward in heaven, that means that we didn't do much of anything that pleased the Father. We've got to make sure that whatever we do in this life, we're doing it in fellowship with Him. Which takes us to the next verse. Go to verse 12. Now if anyone builds on this foundation, what's the foundation? Jesus. Anyone builds on this foundation and it's telling us what we can build, what, what are the, the, the materials we can build with. Build with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw. So you can build on this foundation of Jesus in your life with gold, silver, precious stones, or you can build on it with wood, hay, and straw. Now, there, are there differences in those things? Mamas, how would you feel if your husband came home and brought you a gift, and it was made of wood, hay, and straw. That's nice, honey. Thank you for that. Right? But if your husband came home and brought you something made of gold and silver and precious stones, 
You'd probably say, what bank did you rob? But it's a huge difference, right? And this is what they're differentiating between right here. Let me give you an example before we close. So, as you heard, next Sunday, our New Zealander friend Michael Turner and his family are going to be here, right? Michael, Natasha, and the boys, Zach and Josh. They've been in ministry for a long time, guys. They're changing lives all over the world, winning people for Jesus. So, imagine this with me. So, next Sunday, you've got two different people that walk into this auditorium. They both decide to give $100 to Michael's ministry, okay? The first person is in fellowship with the Lord. They're keeping their heart right, their life right before them. When they mess up, they're quick to humble themselves and to repent before them. They're chasing after the Lord of their life. They are in fellowship with the Lord, okay? Guess the state of the second person. Second person... Gives $100 as well, but their life is not in order. They have unconfessed sin and issues in their heart that the Holy Spirit's been trying to point out and bring to the surface, and they're just ignoring them. Nope, not dealing with it. Haven't opened their Bible in months, much less been to a church gathering in a long time. Haven't given tithes and offerings in a long time. Kind of feeling guilty inside as they're sitting in service, and they drop $100. You see the difference? Both of them gave $100, right? The world would tell us that they should get the same reward. It should be the same thing, but it's not, is it? One is in fellowship with the Lord, and one is not. One is carnal. Now, is the man who's out of fellowship with the Lord, is he sinning by giving that $100? No, it's a good thing to give, right? He's not sinning. Giving is good. But what counts to God is the motivation of our heart. It's what Jesus was talking about when we were concluding chapter 5 last week. It's what's inside. Why did he give and why did the other give? And I would argue that person, he may have given that $100, thinking that somehow it would excuse his sin. But how many of you know God can't be bought, right? Maybe he thought giving would make him feel better in these areas where he was failing and lacking. Nah. God looks at the intent of the heart, right? Now, both of them have the foundation of Jesus. Right? Can you picture the two foundations? It's the same foundation, right? In in both of their lives. But now one of them has $100 of gold, silver, and precious stones on that foundation. The other has $100 of wood, hay, and straw, which you know today won't get you much. The intent of the heart was different, even though they gave the same thing. So, regarding the man out of fellowship with the Lord, what could he have done differently? What if he came to service, and during that service he truly opened up his heart? And he repented before the Lord for the way he was living his life. He repented for not putting the Lord first. He asked forgiveness. And what if he was truly moved with godly compassion and generosity? And he gave that $100 with a pure heart. 
completely different, right? He would have $100 of gold, silver, and precious stones on that foundation. Make sense? So in our lives, for all of us who are Christ followers, there's probably been times that we have stored up on our foundation some gold, silver, and precious stones. And for all of us, there have probably been times we have stored up some wood, some straw, and some hay, right? If you're out of fellowship with the Lord for a good while, the good things that you did amounted to wood, hay, and straw. Maybe you still gave tithes and offerings. Maybe you still prayed for your allotted 10 minutes a day. Maybe you said all the right things in the physical, but on the inside, it was a completely different matter. Those things that you did in the natural on the outside were simply out of duty and obligation because of what was on the inside. You may have been trying to appease your guilt or shame or, like I say, even just, even just fulfill a duty to the Lord. Guys, it says here that it is wood, hay, and straw. Next verse. Actually, that again, uh, see. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation of Jesus, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, verse 13, each one's work will become clear. Remember, Jesus sees right through all the facade. He sees through the outside, right to the heart of the matter. Each one's work will become very clear for the day we will declare it because it was revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Now, you see the word day, or day is a capital D, doesn't it? Because it just isn't any normal, ordinary day. It's talking about the great white throne judgment of Christ. Uh, I'm sorry, it's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. He's not talking about the great white throne judgment. He's talking about the judgment seat of Christ where Christ follows. We will stand before the Lord and our works will be examined. Does this make sense? And what does the last part of verse 13 say? It says, because it will be revealed by fire and fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. And it doesn't say the fire is going to test you. It says the fire is going to test your work. Verse 14 says, if anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures, endures what? The fire, right? If anyone's work, what you did, what you built on that foundation, endures the fire, you will receive reward. Now, here's the good news, guys. The good things that you did in this life with the wrong motives, they don't count against you. That's a good thing, Right? Those things you've stored up of wood, hay, and straw, they're not counted against you. But fire will be applied to it. Will the foundation be burned up? No, it's Jesus. Will the gold and the silver and the precious stones be burned up? Nope. What's going to be burned up? The wood, the hay, and the straw. The things that are burned up are not held against you. But you're only rewarded for what's left over, which begs the question, what happens if the fire comes and in the end you have the biggest bonfire ever and nothing but ash left? Well, that was embarrassing and awkward. No. Right? Look at verse 15. Now, the question is, when you stand before him in this and your works have been examined and you have nothing but a big bonfire, are you going to hell? Verse 15 says, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. 
The New Living says, the builder we saved, but like somebody just escaping through a wall of fire. Look at the Passion Translation. It says, yet he himself will barely escape destruction like one being rescued out of a burning house. You're going to be going, as that fire is burning and you're not seeing anything left coming out of the flames, I I just can't imagine we're going to be there sweating like, oh Lord, you know what? And once that fire goes down, there's nothing left. We're going to say, you're going to smell like smoke. You're going to be going, oh, that was close. I don't know about you guys, but that's not good enough for me. It's not good enough for me. All you ended up with was the foundation. Thank God that he's more than enough. Right? But that's it. Thank goodness. You have the new birth. And no, that does not mean you're going to be poor in heaven, okay? Doesn't mean that. You'll be there, and the past will be the past, and you'll be forgiven. But I would suggest this, guys. The truly surrendered life, the one that is truly surrendered to Jesus, doesn't want to just barely get into heaven. If that's appealing to you, then I would strongly encourage you to examine your heart and see whether or not you have truly surrendered your life to him. I want lots of rewards. Not because I want a bunch of gold and silver and precious gems and crowns and things to show off. I want to know that I please my father well. My time on this earth. We got to make the decision to be Not only hearers, but doers of the word of God. Acting on it. Staying in fellowship with the Father. Building on the foundation of Jesus in our lives. If we're in fellowship, then that that we're building will not be burned up. It will be gold and silver and precious gems. But it can only be done when we're in fellowship with our Father. Guys, it's all about the heart. I was kind of joking a minute ago about praying for your allotted 10 minutes. There's nothing wrong with praying for 10 minutes, guys. But if you're doing it, watching the clock, waiting for the 10 minutes to be over, the motivation of your heart is wrong. Some of you mamas that got little babies, 10 minutes here and there may be what you can fit in. But press in after the Lord with all your heart. Make sure that your motivation is right and you're not doing it out of duty and obligation. Because if you do it with the wrong motivation, then what good is it? It's wood, hay, and straw. But if you're doing it with the sense of your heart, it's gold and silver and precious gems. Understand, one last example. About it not being about quantity but quality. Y'all know the Bible says that if you give but a cup of water to somebody in the name of Jesus... Y'all know what I'm talking about? That's, you get reward for that, guys. That's gold, silver, and precious gems. Just giving somebody in need a cup of water. But you can give a million dollars to your favorite minister with the wrong heart. You could give it to him to be seen. You could give it to him to get your name on the side of a building. And you know what it amounts to? Zero. Counts for nothing. 
because it's wood, hay, and straw, and it'll be burned up. Does this make sense? Next week, Michael Turner will be ministering, but we will continue two weeks today with Matthew chapter 6. And let me tell you, I know it took six weeks to get through Matthew chapter 5. Six and seven will we'll probably go a bit faster than, than five did. There was a whole lot to chapter 5 there. But uh, we will continue two weeks from today with, uh, with Matthew chapter 6. But I would invite you guys as we close to go ahead and stand up with us as our worship team comes up and, and we go before the Lord. Let's just all stand up together and let's just... Let's just bow our heads for a moment. And guys, I want you, with your head bowed, I want you to let everything fall away for just a moment. All the distractions. Lunch is going to be there in a few minutes. Put it away. (laughs) Focus on him for a minute. Examine your heart. Examine what you're building. Firstly, if you're in this place and you don't have the foundation of Jesus then you are utterly lost and alone. You're in bondage to the curse of sin. And you cannot be in fellowship with the Father. We serve a holy, righteous Father. And we can't come to Him without the blood of Jesus applied to our life. The blood of Jesus covers a multitude of sins. It covers them all. And he washes us white as snow when we confess our sins. He's faithful and just. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, the first thing you've got to do is build that foundation. You've got to receive that foundation. And I present it to you now. The Holy Spirit presents the opportunity to you right now become a new creation, to put the old life behind you, the sin, the shame, the guilt. You get to start over. You get a redo. Things will never be the same. Guys, it is about repentance. It's about turning your heart from your ways. It's about not allowing your flesh to be what leads and guides your life anymore but allowing him to be the one that leads and guides your life. If you're here and you know that you're lost, you know that you have not truly surrendered, repented, and made Jesus Lord of your life, and I give you that opportunity right now. Don't wait another moment, guys. And this isn't something to be timid about. It is absolutely the greatest decision you will make in your life. You must have the foundation of Jesus. You must be a new creation. Every head bowed. If that's you and you're here and you would say, I need Jesus today, I've got to surrender. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand so I can see. Wave it at me. Who in here would say, I need Jesus? I need to make Jesus Lord of my life. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're joining us on the live stream. The Holy Spirit is right there wherever you may be right now. Whether you're in your home or whether you're in your car or whether you're in another country. The Holy Spirit is right there with you right now and he's drawing you and he's imploring you to come. To lay down your old life and your sin at his feet, at the feet of Jesus. To repent, to turn from it. 
and to accept Jesus as Lord and master of your life. We're going to pray a prayer together, and I encourage you to pray with us. Understand, again, it's not about the outward words you speak as much as it's about the condition of your heart. It's about truly surrendering, truly repenting, coming to him humbly and saying, Lord, I need you. And he'll meet you right where you're at. doesn't matter what you're going through. doesn't matter what your past looks like. He'll meet you right there. And he will truly make all things new. If that's you, just pray with us. Pray something like this. Say, Heavenly Father, I recognize that I'm lost in my sin. I recognize I'm ruled by my flesh. I'm utterly selfish without you. And in that, I am a failure. But today, Lord, I repent of my sin. I repent of my failures. I repent of my selfishness. I repent of my double-mindedness. Lord, I repent of those things. Jesus, I lay them at your feet and I turn away from them. Jesus, I thank you for willingly paying the price for the judgment I deserved. I ask you to forgive me now. I ask you to make me new. I confess you, Jesus, as Lord of my life. And I'll follow you every day. Holy Spirit, fill me and empower me. Lead me and guide me. Then I can accomplish everything that you called me to. I'll follow you all the days of my life and for all eternity in Jesus' name. Amen. As if you're here, you prayed that or you're watching online, we're gonna have our prayer partners down in front in just a minute. As I said, it's no small thing. The Bible says that in that moment, when one sinner repents, that even the angels of heaven begin rejoicing. And so we celebrate and we rejoice with you. Next steps, don't walk this alone. We're going to have prayer partners down front, down here in just a minute. And as everybody's dismissed and is leaving, I encourage you to come down and let them know, say, I, I surrendered my life to Jesus. And maybe you had done it before and you just rededicated your life again. You were like, I need to make some change. Come down and tell somebody. Let them pray for you. Let them give you some directions and some next steps in this life. We were not meant to walk alone. Amen. But guys, I want you to close your eyes again. And I want you to examine your heart again. Hopefully we're all Christ followers in this place. If you are, then you're in relationship. You're a son. You're a daughter of the Heavenly Father. But I would ask you, is are you in fellowship? You're the kid at the table. Are you enjoying a fine meal with your father? and guilt and shame because you know your relationship with him is not what it should be. It's as simple as confessing and repenting and knowing that he forgives you. You don't have to be eat up with guilt and shame anymore after repenting. 
as he promises to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. What in your life are you doing? And like I said, maybe they're good things, but your motivation's just not right. Maybe you're tired. And maybe your walk with the Lord now is completely duty and obligation. (laughs) I would tell you, there is one good side to that. At least you recognize it and you're trying to walk it out. But guys, it's time to stir things up. And don't settle for that place. Don't settle for fulfilling a duty and an obligation. Open yourself up to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, what do you want to do inside of me? What are those things in my life where I'm building of wood, straw, and hay? What do I need to put aside? What do I need to start doing? (laughs) We're not going to close out yet, guys. We need to sing this. I didn't even realize what song we were doing here. Maybe you were tired. Maybe the good things in your life right now you're doing are just duty and obligation. Yeah, they're wood straight, straw, and hay. He's given you the victory over every giant, over every circumstance, over depression, over stress, whatever it may be. He's given you all the answers. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.